Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. We are tonight's entertainment. This meeting of the Movie Council is now in session. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Movie Council podcast. We are back. This is episode 54, and uh, I don't know if you know this, but we're kind of a big deal. Yes, sir. My name is Dan Sherry. I am the uh, chief boy toy of the Movie Council and your host tonight. I am joined by my co-hosts, uh, the COO, Mr. Andrew Sherry. Hello. And the uh, security director and the smooth-talking Southern gentleman, Mr. Marky Bondurant. Uh, thank you. And uh, we, we are back, and I guess we might as well just go ahead right away and uh, get to the elephant in the room. So if you guys, uh, if you're long-time listeners, you are used to hearing uh, our other hosts uh, introduce the podcast each week. And if you're a new listener, hey, welcome. Uh, happy to have you. But uh, for everyone else, yeah, Tim, uh, he, he is not gone from the podcast. He will be still a part of it. He just, you know, as the CEO of the movie council, he's got he's got a lot on his plate. So you know, running a fake company, there's lots of, you know, fake meetings, uh, fake checks to sign, stuff like that. So, mm -hmm. so, so he's busy, but he will be joining us when he can. And so he's not, uh, not gone from the show, but, uh, the three of us, as we actually discovered, uh, last season during our, our music night, we're, we're kind of a well-oiled machine, the three of us. So, uh, the podcast without him will be us three and we'll still be giving you the great content we've been giving you. And, uh, Tim will obviously be, be here when he can. And, uh, I, I'm sure we'll, you know, we'll, we'll give him the, the, the shit he deserves when he shows up. But, uh, but for now we're going to, we're, we're going to keep coming out every week with the three of us, uh, talking some fucking movies and, and doing what we do. So, uh, gentlemen, well, what have you guys been up to? Let, let, let's get caught up. Cause it has been, uh, a, a few fucking weeks since we've talked. Marky, how, how have you been? I've been good. I've, uh, I know you guys have a lot more interesting shit to talk about than me. I mean, <laughs> I've, I've been, uh, you know, staying the path with works, been a traveling man been going all over the place um spending lots of time with my baby girl and wife having fun with that but uh and I've, i'm actually going to go to ohio next week and the following week so i'm planning on trying to get up with bearded thigh tickler 69 oh very nice out for a little bit right <laughs> um but for me nothing uh that Nothing life-changing. You know, I've just been continuing on the path. I've been car shopping, been going in and out, looking at different things, 
mid-size SUVs with a third row. I keep going in and out. Lately, I've been trying to settle on, uh, or the top contenders rather, have been the the Lexus GX 460, the Toyota Ooh. Highlander, um, and what was the other one? Uh, and the Acura MBX. And I, well. there, there was the uh, Subaru Ascent was on that list until I just started finding articles recently that apparently Subaru missed the fucking ball when it came to the Ascent. So that might not be that good of a vehicle. So if any listeners have any input on an MBX, a Lexus GX 460 or a Toyota Highlander or anything in that vehicle in that category that they want to let me know about, I'd be all ears. Other yeah. than that, I know you guys have had much more life-changing things going on. Yeah. AJ. Well, uh, real quick, speaking of which, yeah. so uh, if you want to give Marky some uh, feedback, oh, you yeah. can okay. send us an email to uh, moviecouncilpod at gmail.com or hit us up on social media. We are on uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, everywhere you can find us at moviecouncilpod. So, uh, yeah, AJ, let's get caught up with you, brother. What have you been up to? Uh, it's been a few weeks. You, you're looking fantastic again. Like you, every time I see you, you're, you're withering away. Well, I don't think withering's the word. You're, you, you're thinning out and looking fucking fantastic, man. Thank you. First of all, Dan, good job. Thank uh, you. Thank intro, you. everything. Um, <clears throat> Yeah, so I'm doing good. I don't know. I've been okay. working a lot. I recently actually had surgery, um, but fully recovered. I just, um, it was preventative surgery. Um, as many people know, or those that have our faithful listeners know, I um, had a heart attack at the beginning of the year. <laughs> January. Mm-hmm. So as a result of that and a result of the state of my heart, I um, had uh, a device implanted just to protect me from, you know, you know, I don't know, sudden cardiac death, I guess they call it. (laughs) What's that thing? That that pesky thing. (laughs) It's an ICD. It's a, it's an implanted cardiac defibrillator. So instead of, you know, somewhat, instead of my son, you know, having to pull out the paddles and, you know, clear you know, <laughs> right. the device inside me will do it for him. So you've got this little coin shaped device that was surgically implanted a little bigger than that. Sp- yeah. But yeah. Uh, is it just, is it just above the muscle under the skin? Yeah. So yeah, can you actually feel it? Yeah, I can feel it. Uh, I can feel the, um, the outline of it freaky under my skin. <laughs> Um, it's just to the left of my heart, um, just below my left shoulder, um, Mm kind of next to my, right next to my armpit, sort of like, you know, my Mm -hmm. upper pectoral area on the left. So, and you were telling us, I know it's there. I can certainly feel it, but you know, I was in some pain for, you know, I don't know, four or five days after the surgery, Hard to lift my arm, move my arm around, but you know, I'm think. good now. Feeling oh, good t- now. Yeah, you you're looking good, that thing's buddy. got a uh, a battery that will shock mm. your heart back right. to life if it, it will. detects so, that it stops. It does, yeah. So there's 
I have to yeah. carry around this card and it's got, you know, the serial numbers on it. So when I go, also, if I go to the airport, I got to show them the card because they can't wave the wand at me because, you know, could turn could the thing off. Deactivate yeah. it. It'll it deactivate, deactivate it. It, it, won't, yeah. it won't shock you. It won't, it won't it shock me. Yeah. There's no danger of that. The only time it should presumably shock me is, you if know, when necessary. it detects, yeah, when it's necessary, when it detects that I'm, you know, that it can't correct, you know, whatever that mm-hmm. issue is with my heartbeats. And it's getting, re- you're getting readings to your phone or the doctors can see readings. They can like look it up. They can right now. And then there's an app that I'll be download. you know, that the data will go to uh-huh. eventually, um, you know, after I go one more visit, which is the end of this month. So. Okay. Yeah. About a month away. I try not to think that it's there because I, if I think that it's there, I worry about it'll prematurely shock me or something. Because you start freaking mm, out and your heart. Yeah, yeah, like, I don't want my heart. Yeah, I, I need to. I need to live this. I le- need to live the Zen lifestyle and be right. calm all the time, so that you know my resting heart rate is you know very low. You know. Let me ask you this: Are you stopping here, or are you going to continue? placing robotic parts into your body right. where does yeah, it get end? like a bionic eye and shit right. that'd be dope um, <laughs> telescoping eye i feel like i feel arms, like some yeah i feel like some uh, additional arms. um amplification to my hearing would be good mm. <laughs> because I, I have what, i have what a lot of people call selective hearing so ah, <laughs> yeah. so you know that, i know that's boring but uh, you know i can't fly or anything that's a little mm. too much to ask Mm. Yeah, but some go-go gadget legs would be pretty dope. There you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I suppose. Um, go-go gadget penis, little penis extender. <laughs> Just add a couple inches, bump it up to three, you know. <laughs> Very nice, Marky. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Let's, let's uh yeah let's move on dan how you yeah. doing <laughs> so. it's, it's like it's a uh, it's eerily accurate so yeah. uh, <laughs> oh excellent so yeah for me this is uh the since we last spoke uh, it's been a a bit of a whirlwind i i moved so uh you know just everything's been a mess we haven't fully unpacked yet we got uh completely thrown off where our movers are supposed to come one week and they canceled. And so we got all thrown off, but we're all, we're all moved in. Uh, nice. I got this great new place, but I, I gotta say too, it's been a bit weird, like uh, emotionally, you know, uh-huh. I, I was in this place for so long. And even though it was like really shitty, I, I got really <laughs> sad leaving it. <laughs> Like, right. I was know, just about I was, to ask. I was you. all excited about this new place, and then when I'm finally out of the old place, I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm really gonna fucking miss this shithole that I've spent so much time in. So, How long were you in that last place? I was like eight years. Yeah. Yeah. That's so a good I was, chunk. Yeah, I grew, I grew some attachments there, and yeah, it's, uh, I was a bit sad leaving, but uh, I figure once we're fully unpacked here and settled in, it's gonna be much better. So yeah. It shouldn't yeah. take, but uh, I don't know. It's been so long since I've moved. But yeah, uh, moving sucks ass. By the way, my god, just even that the whole the stress of the move itself was fucking killing me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's yeah, it's brutal. 
especially because I'm like old and fat. So that that does not help. <laughs> yeah, at you all. just said you hired <laughs> movers to do it. I've yeah. never hired movers in my life. Right? Yeah. So even hiring movers, I'm so old and fat. Just the few bucks I had to carry was tough enough. <laughs> <laughs> how did you how did you lose the movers that one week? Is that a slip up on uh, your part or theirs? Yeah, no, it was, it was my fault. Yeah. Yeah. You forgot it, they like, were coming and you were like naked at the living room or something? Um uh, close, very yeah. close. <laughs> but no, like the email that I thought I had sent, I hadn't sent. So like ah. I thought I confirmed it, but I didn't confirm gotcha. it. So that morning they didn't show up. I was like, Gotcha, what's going on? And then I realized I didn't actually confirm it so it was totally my fault i fucked up yeah and yeah and yeah shit happens so but we're uh we're here now uh very happy to be here it's you know beautiful beautiful place so nice i'm excited and and again uh hopefully uh like i got a new internet connection so hopefully everything here goes well um upgrade yeah and check out how well. Are, so, how are your cats adjusting? Uh, they're actually doing great right now. I, I gotta say, the the first couple days we were here, they were hiding most of the time. But now that we've been here for uh for a few days now, for like almost a week, they they're really adjusting and they're much happier. So That's good. I'm happy. Yeah. Nice. And so, um, and real quick, guys, just I, I just look at look at look at my name. It's a, <laughs> it's a funny, it's a funny, funny. name. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. So name. I, I, I want to shout out. In that time we were gone, we yes, lost right. my all-time favorite comedian, Norm Macdonald. Mm-hmm. Fucking a, I loved Norm. So, uh, I just yeah want to give a shout out to Norm, one of the greatest comedians ever super funny and i i get a feeling this season we should probably maybe do an episode where we uh like delve that. into dirty work and some of other norms great performances so i agree but, it's been a long time since i've watched any of those and i, I love them yeah. what was the one that he did with uh dave Chappelle? Uh, screwed 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 yes screwed. i think it's screwed i think it was yes called. yeah and it had danny devito oh. and he's like the old uh uh, Norm Macdonald is like the butler for the old lady that's like really mean to him and then found, yeah that's a good one yeah so he yeah he will be missed but uh, I think tonight it, it's time to get into our topic what do you guys think let's do it I'm yeah ready. can you can you guys hear me well, we I can hear you. you great I figured I figured it out your headphones sweet yeah I don't hear myself <laughs> anymore <laughs> It was yeah, through, for, it was it was through Zoom. Ah, had to do it through Zoom. Yeah. Huh. So yeah, for the listeners, before we started recording, uh, AJ was having the problem of hearing himself in his headphones. Which, if you've never like recorded anything, hearing yourself in your headphones is fucking weird, and, and it's it's tough to do. But Andy was powering through, and now he's got a fix. So this. And if and and if this segment sucks, then cut it out. Okay, <laughs> I, I think it's great. So here we go. Uh, it it is AJ's topic. This is one we're we're, we're getting into part two of one he picked uh, last season, 
And so, AJ, why don't you go ahead and take it away and uh, let everyone know who, obviously, they've seen the title of the episode, but uh, give a little more info on uh, what we're going to be talking about tonight. Sure. Um, So for those that heard part one, um, I had this idea to, we've done like director spotlights, we've done actor spotlights, and I just thought, um, I wanted to do a retrospective on a director we all love and someone whose works kind of span over some time and just, they were very influential. So, and, 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 you know, this is a line I say sometimes just because it's obvious doesn't mean we shouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. And talking about Quentin Tarantino is probably kind of obvious for a movie counts for a movie podcast, but doesn't mean we shouldn't do it. So in episode one of the retrospective, we talked about the films that Quentin Tarantino directed, wrote, had some part in, in the 90s. You know, most specifically Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, Jackie Brown, uh, his writing uh, on True Romance. Yeah, so we talked mostly about that. We talked about his early days. And then for part two and three, part two, we want, I, I wanted to talk about the movies he directed in the 2000s. Part three, we'll get into his you know, films he did in the 2010s, that decade. So for the first episode, we, I kind of went into his background a little bit. I didn't want to do that this time. I kind of just want to get into the films because we're talking about four films tonight. And they're all, well, two of them are, are related to each other. But the other two are so much different than the first two. I mean, just... They're so starkly different from each other. I just wanted to start talking about the movies. You know, we, we, uh, most people know uh, enough about Tarantino and his, you know, what he did early in his career. But I want to talk about this sort of like middle area of his career, you know, because there's like, this is some, this was an interesting time for Tarantino. Oh, so totally. yeah, yeah, we're talking about Kill Bill Volume One and Volume Two, um, a movie he did called Death Proof, which is Love part it. of a Grindhouse double feature uh, where the other film um, Planet Robert Terror Rodriguez. was directed by Robert Rodriguez, and then um, 2009, finishing up the decade, he directed Inglorious Bastards. If you just look at Volume One and Volume Two of Kill Bill as we're not going to we could talk about that being one movie or two movies because that's that there's some there's some talking points there but that those two and then death proof and then inglorious bastards the the differences between those films it's so stark not just mm. the subject matter or the genre but the style he did them in the filming techniques uh the the chronological order of them like all the stuff that he does it was just, they're so different, those films. And they're like love letters to different genres. Right. Kung Flu mm-hmm. flicks, spaghetti westerns, uh, the grindhouse exploitation films, just the... So I just want us to dive in. I don't want to lead this conversation. I just want to talk with you guys about these films. The only direction I want to give us is to start with Kill Bill Volume 1. That's all I want to do. And I want us to just go... And talk about it. Can I, um, this might be jumping the gun a little bit, but out of these four movies, which one of the, out of these, which did you guys watch recently? I just watched uh, Kill Bill this week. 
and I had seen Death Proof uh, not too long ago during our last season. Um, I've seen Inquirer's Bastards a million times. Uh, Kill Bill Volume 2, I haven't watched in quite a while. I watched them all again this week, even though I watched Inglorious Bastards for our villains tournament mm-hmm. um, last se- uh, two seasons ago now, right? Two seasons ago. Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I, I watched them all again this week. Nice. What about you, Dan? Uh, yeah, I, I haven't gotten a chance to watch it much. Like I said, yeah. we were, we're in the middle of a move. Uh, my TV was actually packed away for a few days, so. Uh, but movers. I would say most recently I've seen Inglorious Bastards within the past year and I've seen Kill Bill enough times that yeah yeah uh, you can always talk about that yeah exactly so, so um, what I wanted I wish I'd got I know you were busy Dan but I, I wish I'd, I'd um, touch base with you earlier to sort of um, because as we get into this we're going to realize something that's a common theme of Tarantino is the music he puts in his films uh-huh. is so mm. freaking incredible. Um, for, so we're talking about Kill Bill first. The RZA did their, uh, most of the original music for it, plus there's other music in that film that's just freaking awesome. Like the, the, the band that's playing at uh, the House of Blue Leaves, the uh, five, six, seven, eights. Uh-huh. Quinn Tarantino just saw, found them, saw them performing and just wanted them in his film. And just, yeah. you know, that, that sort of stuff. And it just fit so perfectly. The story I heard is that he heard them playing in like a, like an airport, like a Japanese airport or something. And he was mm-hmm. like, who is this? And then I like found out and then he was like, I got to have them. Yeah. This Sounds whole, about right. Yeah. That whole time period for Quentin was very interesting because it really was like just trying different shit like yes. you know like hearing a band and like oh all right i'm gonna put you in my movie and then i'm gonna make a you know grindhouse movie then i'm gonna make a war movie and a kung fu movie like he he tried all this different shit because yeah i mean if you think about it the first few while they all were kind of different they all still had that same kind of yes. uh, Crime films. Yeah, the, the crime genre film, and they all kind of have that same thing going. With the snappy dialogue and the kind of, you know, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. This and, and, era. Yeah, this, this era, he switches it up so much. Yes. and But yet, you, you can tell every one of them is a Quentin Tarantino 100%. Movie. It's fucking so look, amazing. So, he does so so different movies, but they're all very Quentin Tarantino. It's got Which him is, written all over it. Yeah. Right. So let's start with Kill Bill Volume One and let's say it. Volume Two. Let's say both because mm-hmm. sure. Quentin Tarantino wanted it to be this four-hour revenge epic. Yeah. But you know, way down the line, the production line, the, you know, doing Cut this film, uh, the you know, uh, Harvey Weinstein or whatever the Weinstein company, they just him between him and Quentin, they decided to split it into two films. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, yeah, he stopped raping girls long enough to make that decision. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Wait a minute. Break it up. That's what so, I imagine Harvey Weinstein sounds like. In between this, bites of caviar. And I think cocaine. you're fucking dead on. <laughs> so the first the first kill bill, right? I always thought to myself that I liked it a lot more than the second one. Now I watched both of them again this week because why not right i don't know mm-hmm. right <laughs> and i i think i still like the first one a little bit better but not for the same reasons i thought i did 
Okay. I, I always thought I liked it just because it was just of, of you know, the violence and that scene at the House of Blue Leaves, which is all great. But it's it was a little bit more than that to me this time. It was more about the pace of the first film and um, the decisions that were made scene-wise. Like to put that Vernita Green scene first, right. even though chronologically it happened second. And then to have that showdown. And then the scene when the bride uh, walks out the back um, to that picturesque snowy garden scene with Oren Ishii mm. and the fight. Um, and just a little nods to thing like things like spoilers, everybody, uh, the bride's <laughs> na- the bride's name, which they bleep out throughout the course of the first film and part of the second film is Beatrix kiddo. And Oren Ishii says, silly rabbit tricks are for kids. Beatrix kiddo. Like there's little nods like that in the film that happened that I mm. think that are just really clever. And it's just like, he casts in the second film, Sonny Chiba, who he's just like a big fan of like those street fighter films that he was in. And he just, it's always like an ode to this and homage to that. And he was like a huge Kung Fu fan. That's why he cast um, uh, David Carradine. And like, yeah, that was part of why he, I guess originally he wanted to cast Warren Beatty, but he turned it down. He would have had him be more like a James Bond suave type of bill, but he, then he moved on to David Carradine. Anyway, so the first film, I think I love more because of the pace, because of uh, the Lucy Liu performance was just terrific. And I just awesome. And the second Mm -hmm. film is, is not really a Kung Fu film. It's more like a Western the way it's done in some Uh ways with with Bud with Bud. Yeah. Yeah, It's got a little more Western tinge to it and it's slower and there's more plot and it's less about just, you know, this, not this like unknown woman, you just going for revenge because you know, she got shot in the head uh at her wedding which we find out in the second film was really her wedding rehearsal or wedding dress rehearsal um and there's just there's some decisions in the second film that i didn't totally agree with and even on a second viewing i didn't love but i think everything was so intentional that it was still a really good movie the second one it just like i wish i didn't see bill until the end i wish i just heard his voice you know, right. because it's called Kill Bill. So I wish I didn't see him till the end. I also thought the last scene in the vol- in volume two was kind of long. It was a little dragged out. And I guess originally they wanted to do that thing where, you know, Bill describes like, oh, let's go out to the beach and like bathe in moonlight and have a sword fight, sword right. fighter and blah, blah, blah. They were going to do that. But I was they expecting were, that. Yeah. yeah, they were going to do that, but they were like, this is getting too long. Let's uh, So then Car- uh, Bill just describes that sort of, and then he, they do the five-point palm exploding heart. I, I love that too, though. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. love that too, because she does it on him, and he's just like, uh, what's the name of the master again? Oh, Paime. Um, Paime. He's like, Paime taught you the five-point exploding heart technique? And she's like, yeah. <laughs> of course he did. Yeah, she said, yeah. of course he did. But I love the Pai Mei scenes. Like there are scenes in volume two that I love a lot, but at some of its parts, not as much of a fan as I was of the first one. But if you take them and make it one long movie, I can see it. I can see it going from scene to scene. Like I can see that. 
uh, and I love the scene in volume two with the, uh, um, her and um, L driver. Right. Ellie driver. Her, yeah. When she plucks her drive uh, uh, her That's eye it. out. That is the best scene in the second movie. But it's opinion. so well choreographed that fight in that yeah. t- those tight spaces. It's so well done. Apparently, um, uh, Daryl Hannah and um, Uma Thurman hate each other's guts. So that's <laughs> yeah, they, really? they they yeah they they won like best fight scene at some awards thing, and and Uma Thurman didn't show up, but she did the year before because her and the Go Go character. Uh-huh. Uh, they the won the best fight, fight scene. Yeah, in the first one, she went to that award ceremony, but she didn't hmm. go to the one Daryl Hannah was at. Interesting. Um, they did not like each other. Um, but they didn't like each other in the movie either. The characters no, didn't that like fit each well. other. That fit well, yeah. So I just watched the uh, first one recently. Like I said, I haven't seen the second one in a long time. Uh, the first one came out in 2003, and I would have been, a, uh, I think, a junior, sophomore, junior in high school at the time. So that movie of that type blew my socks off. You know, like you guys know how much I like the hyper violence in movies. And this may have been part of what set the trend in that. Yeah, they had, to, they had to do some black and white stuff like throughout the course of that House of Blue Leaves fight. Because it's just too Because it would have been it would have been NC-17. They had to do a black and white. That's how they got around it. Mm-hmm. So, and uh, real quick, just to let the listeners know, when Marky said he was in uh, like junior sophomore year he was actually 25 years old then so <laughs> it was my second go yeah my second go at it. He, he failed a few classes so mm-hmm. <laughs> sorry but if you if you guys had to say if you had to guys had to say one was you favored over the other which would it be the first one for me for sure and definitely yeah. at the time when i saw it like i said when you know uh 2003 middle of high school uh, you know, just that movie rocked my world. I was blown away by it. And then uh, Kill Bill Volume 2 came out a year later, 2004. And I was super excited for it. Didn't really look into too much of it. Just went and watched it. And it's a much different uh, just kind of mood to the movie, like you were saying, AJ, and style. It's not nearly as violent. It's slower. It's slower paced. And so at the time when I watched it the first time, I was kind of let down because I was expecting another uh, or an extension of volume one. But looking back on it, I can appreciate the movie for what it is. And I love it. But originally when I saw it, I was I didn't care for it as much because I was expecting more of the first one. It's its own. It, if you see them as together, one long ass movie, it can work. Um, if you're expecting the first one to happen again, it's not going to be that. It's not John Wick one and two or three. Right. You know, it's it's a different movie. Right. right. Weirdly, the biggest problem with the with part two was how good part one was. Uh-huh. Like it, like part one, especially because the, the whole movie. You know, like there's that whole her trying to figure out what the hell's going on. You know, she wakes up and gets out and you know, retracing her steps and there's a build up and build up and build up. And like in a normal, like 90, hundred minute movie, you know, you get an hour build up and then, you know, the end of the movies, like the next 30 minutes with this, it was the whole two hours was a build up, And then the second half was part two, which 
you know, when you're watching it all at once, is the great is it's great because everything wraps up. But when you have a year and a half break and then you get that second part, it feels more of a letdown. But that's really just because part one set you up so nicely. Because holy shit, dude, part one is really fucking amazing. It's like you said, the the fight with the crazy eights is just an absolute like masterpiece in a choreography and like fight choreography and all that it is so fucking beautiful and yeah i i love part one part two i i like i I don't hate it but i i I was let down when i saw it and again like you guys both said I, i appreciate it more now but still not nearly as much as i appreciate part one part one is fucking masterful for me, though, part two, there's some scenes I love, like the Pyme, the cruel tutelage of Pyme. Mm. Like, I love, I don't like the the campfire scene with Bill, like with his flute and that, you know, and telling yeah. this story about um, Pyme killing the monks and whatever. Like, I don't care about that. But I, when she gets up those stairs and she confronts him for the first time, and he's just talking, Pyme's just like dressing her down and talking shit to her. And then when they get into a fight, she pulls out the sword and then he jumps up and like stands on it. When she, yeah. it, it, oh my just, God, yes, that is. She thrusts the awesome. sword yeah, out yeah, and yeah, he jumps yeah. up and stands on it. I just, I love that scene. And you know what? That's the, that little um, interlude because it's sort of like informing you, informing you of how she's going to get out of the, the grave, how she's going to get out of the, the casket underground mm-hmm. sort of informing you about like how she got to that point where she's going to do that two inch punch, the two inch punch or whatever uh-huh. uh six inch whatever it is uh to get out of the casket um they didn't that scene didn't overstay its welcome it didn't go mm. on too long it didn't drag out like i think it was it was smartly done and i i dug it a lot like so there's parts of volume two that i I really do dig, like I said, mm-hmm. the face off with her and um, L driver and, you excellent. know, that's an excellent thing. I love, I love the filming of the scene when she gets buried alive, when the drop, when it's totally pitch black on the screen and the dump of the dirt on her. That is and the, dope. You hear, yeah. the, you hear the sound yeah. of the dirt. Like, yeah. Just the way that that was done was was, well, was even right after incredibly, that, she- incredibly visceral. Like it's just, it's so cool when she punches through the casket and she's digging yep. through the dirt, the way that Tarantino filmed that, it was just like her, her like quickly kind of like sliding up yeah, through the dirt. Yeah. Which yeah. Is, that was doesn't awesome make too. sense, but it's cool. Like how she just like almost explodes out of the ground. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a scene Super for cool. me out of Kill Bill two that I always think of when looking back on that movie is the uh i guess he's uh, you know i forget it's been a while to watch it but i guess he's a pimp and he was like a father figure to bill he's like that uh south american guy that oh uh, yeah Beatrix Be- goes to Be- visit Viejo, or Viejo, mm-hmm. is. and he's got the cigarette and the holder and he's got all the prostitutes around him yeah and she's down there asking about bill's location or something yeah that guy that character is a is a, a gym that's a whole yeah. good scene michael parks too. he's in he's in other stuff that tarantino did too yeah yeah i actually he think was, he um, played another part he played the cop i thought is he the sheriff i think he is michael parks he and he's was, also in death proof he was the sheriff in uh 
from, uh, from dusk till dawn as well. Okay, so then he's yeah. the he's the sheriff in Kill Bill Volume One, and, and he and in, de- in Death Proof, and, de- and, death proof. and so Plays is his son. Right, he they call, play the same and he characters. calls him son number one. Yeah, he calls him right. son, son number, number one. one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what do we got? Son he calls him one. the same thing in Death Proof. Son. son oh, those are the same one. characters, one hundred percent. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's like a shared universe, you know. Right. And dude, uh, can, can I just give a real quick shout out to Michael Parks? Uh, Kevin Smith's movie Red State. Have mm-hmm. you guys seen Red State? Mm-hmm. It, he plays that preacher. Uh, for, that's right. basically the analog to whatever the Westboro Baptist Church, and he plays the head of that, and uh-huh. he is fucking phenomenal in that role. Like I know Red State, not the greatest movie ever. It's I per- personally, I love it, but I know it. Not everyone does, but his role in that is fucking fantastic. He, he also... was an awesome, awesome actor. I think he was super underrated. I, I agree wholeheartedly with that. And he was also in the other Kevin Smith movie, Tusk. He plays yes. the, uh, yeah, he the plays caretaker the crazy of the walrus. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I didn't want great. to talk about that movie because, oh boy. <laughs> Tusk. <laughs> no, but going so. back to Kill Bill Volume 1, um, there's so many scenes in that that you know, Tarantino does what he does where he's uh, doing these kind of homages to these genres that he loves, which shaped, uh, you know, clearly his love for movies because he's putting it back into his own movies. And I thought it was cool and I didn't really figure it out or piece it together until later. You know, originally when I saw RZA on there for original music, I was like, that's odd. Why would you use the dude from Wu-Tang Clan to do the music? And then Later on down the road, you find out that Riza is actually a massive kung fu fan himself. Well, the Wu Tang, mm-hmm. the Wu Tang is very influenced by you know all that. I didn't. Yeah, back in high school, I didn't really piece that together, and it wasn't until later that I kind of you know realized that. So, mm-hmm. but I thought that was really cool. You know, I I, I just love, and and I'm going to repeat this, and uh, you know, it's going to get brought up uh, over and over again. Um, Tarantino he puts like his love of films, like into his films, mm-hmm. you know, his oh, love of God. certain, his yeah. love of particular types of cinema. He's shining a light on these Kung Fu films, getting Westerns, uh, these grindhouse films. Like yeah, he, we saw it uh, with Jackie Brown too. Jackie yeah. Brown. Yeah. Yes. Uh, casting Pam Greer too. He's a right. big fan mm-hmm. of, Brings coffee, back. of coffee and like that exploitation film yeah. era. Like he's a huge fan of that. And so he brought her into it. He brought, um, son, like Carradine, I said, son, Sonny, Chiba. Sonny Chiba into volume one um, as a Toro Hanzo, uh, Tori Hanzo t- to make the sword, but Sonny Chiba and, and Sonny Chiba's film Street Fighter. Isn't that the ones that Christian Slater's uh, uh, Clarence Worley goes and sees on his birthday? Yes. Street Fighter movies. Yeah. Starring Sonny, Sonny, Sonny Chiba. Chiba. Yeah. Yep. So yeah. that's all Quentin Tarantino's like love of that kind of cinema. Brings the actors back. Pouring into his films. Yeah. And I admire that so much in him and that he does what he loves he's not yeah. making something he's not pandering yeah you know what i mean he's doing what he loves even if it's controversial not necessarily controversial but even if it looks like it's like um self-indulgent or whatever it's just it's just his love of it yeah. you know what it, it what, what what it feels to me at least is um is like quentin is a, a guy like us 
that just fucking loves movies and like watches movies and falls in love with movies. And then he got to make make the movies yeah. and took all that shit he loved about watching movies and poured it into what he was making. And yeah, like, right. so as movie lovers, like it's so easy to fall in love with the way he makes films. So well, he's right. he's he's recreating the the iconic scenes that have stuck with him. And he's putting mm-hmm. them back into his own movies, but with a a modern take yeah, on it. I mean, with the, his twist. Uh, yeah, the <clears> fight <throat> at the end of Kill Bill Volume One with Oren Ishii in that like uh, snowy uh, patio, so with bamboo and the water pouring. I mean, that's just iconic as shit. Like, pick your movie. That's like an old samurai kung fu movie right there. Right. Yeah. It completely and the introduction is. into Hattori Hanzo, like the the disc, the 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 dialogue that Beatrix has back and forth with Hattori Hanzo that that it's just so powerful where she you know comes in speaking English and they're like joking around and then she asks about Hattori Hanzo and then he switches over to Japanese and she starts uh replying to him in Japanese like she knew Japanese at the time right she was acting like this precocious American girl and then he gets all serious serious. once she realized he knew who she was she dropped the facade and just, you know, yeah, you know, ad- so cool. you know, admitted that yeah. she was there. She she knew Bill. She know that Bill was her. Yeah, that it had the bill. I was didn't the say through, Bill was me. the through line. I say I gimme. said gimme. Yeah, <laughs> right. Because Bill was the Bill was the connective tissue. He was the through line. And Actually, Bill, I got a question. Bill and that. Bill was a bad dude, right? Like he was, um, as he called himself, a, a murdering son of a bitch or whatever he called. Himself. So yeah, let me let me ask you about this, AJ, because you watched Kill Bill Volume Two recently. And I just watched volume one and I was uh, trying to remember why because uh, Beatrix goes to see Hattori Hanzo gets her, gets him to give her or make him make her a new sword and just mentions Bill. And like everybody that knows him along the way, all she has to do is mention his name and people are like helping her. So what is it that Bill has done that everyone is just like, yep, I'll help you because he's such a son of a bitch. Like, is it just everything along the way? Was there anything in particular that I don't caused think everyone it's to di- hate Bill? Yeah, I don't think it's divulged specifically. And it's funny, Bill, you never see Bill kill anybody in either either movie, right? Yeah. Like he shoots her Beatrix kiddo in the head. She doesn't right. die, obviously. He injures her uh-huh. badly, puts her in a coma, but he doesn't kill anybody. Yeah. He gets killed, of course, but like it's not specifically said, but he's obviously like a mercenary for hire and he has this group of, you know, the deadly vipers uh, assassination squad. And, you know, so he's 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 a bad dude. Like, you get he's the impression murder- he's a killer for hire. He's an assassin. You know? But you get the impression that he's fucked over just about everybody that right. he's dealt with or people have reg- or people have regretted helping, helping him. him. Right. Because Pyme, Pyme. Yeah. Pai, yeah. Uh, well, maybe not Pai Mei, but Hattori Hanzo and everyone else that's had any interaction with Bill is very eager to help Beatrix because of uh, she's out loud saying, I'm going to kill Bill. And they're like, all right, well, let me help you because that guy's an asshole. He's obviously a, a, you know, a manipulative person mm. like you see in uh, the first one with he, he tells all of his women that he loves them and they're he's got them wrapped around his finger and all that um with ellie driver and apparently beatrix 
I assume was the same before Bud's his brother. He kind of seems to know it, Bud, Bud, Bud kind of seems to think that he is an asshole, but loves him out of, uh, you know, family reasons or something. Right. Lies to him and tells him he sold his sword for 200 bucks. He still right. has it. Pond it. He yeah. ends up, he ends up still having it. Right. Um, with the inscription on it, you know, the only man I ever loved. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Love Bill. So, love Bill. Yeah. Um, but I just, I love the homages. I love the Easter eggs. I love that he puts that stuff in there intentionally for people to see in the background, in the foreground, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the outfit that she's wearing when she's in that fight at Into the, the Dragon. Bruce Lee. Yeah. It's a Bruce, Bruce Lee, Lee outfit. outfit. Yeah. It's That's Bruce Into Lee the outfit. Dragon one, right? Yeah. Um, I don't know what film, but yeah, he wore that same outfit. The yellow. Yeah, I think it was Enter the Dragon. Yeah. So So, he's he's it's an homage to all the stuff that he loved. And yes, yes, it's sort of a little bit self-indulgent, I guess you could say. But it's because he loves it and he's not doing it to be self-indulgent. I don't think it's self-indulgent. I think I mean, it's, it, it can be perceived that way, right? Sure. Like, yeah, I guess the way I but see it, I don't think of it that way. I think of it as just he loves us so much that he wants to share it with everybody. Yeah, he's making movies like, for people that love movies. Right. Right. It almost it almost looks like he's making movies for himself. Like he's making right. the movie that he wants to see because of all the things that he grew up loving. Yeah. Which I, I don't think right. there's anything selfish about that because he does such a damn good job. Right. That we all love well, watching I don't too. think it is either. I'm just saying it, it can be perceived that way. And people yeah. have said I've you know I've I've oh, read people sure. I've seen that have said yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't I mean I don't necessarily agree with that. I just think that um he can afford to do that though. He's such yeah. a terrific filmmaker and his vision is so clear right. when he's making a film. And that's like yeah. a major thing, right? It's he's not he's not pandering to anybody any like you know anybody that's like putting the footing the bill for the film he's no it's his vision and he's so fucking good at it though like yeah they're begging him to make more (laughs) yeah 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 so like speaking of his vision let's uh, quick uh shout out to the connection uh to pulp fiction where she talks about fox force five and how you know like there's the the person who's uh you know good with knives and the explosive expert and all the different people that she deals with in kill bill are you know similar to all the oh. fox force five characters you know okay, yeah and That's and uh, and in um uh, the chapel there with samuel jackson is like the the organist or whatever he's uh-huh. like the organ he player, says yeah. something about being a drifter you know how jewel said like I'll just wander. I'll just walk the earth. Like, is yeah. he actually Jules? Like, who knows? Right? Only, be, right? right? Only, only Quentin would know, right? But yeah. I think it's like cool stuff like that. If you love his films, mm-hmm. you appreciate what he's doing. You're gonna pick up on that stuff, and I think that's awesome. When I yeah. watch a film by a director that I love, that I'm like picking up on these sort of shared universe things, and also like these homages. That he's yeah. paying to the old old uh, cinema, I love yeah. it. I love it. I love the references. I love the callouts. I love all of that. I'm like paying it, trying to pay attention to it. I'm like in watching like scenes of a movie that he's making, and I'm trying to like 
if they're like in a bar and there's like signage somewhere, I'm trying to read what it says to see if there's any like reference. Oh, to everything like, is a placement for something. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. There's a reason for everything. Right. Like it's, every, all very, every shot, it's all very every shot. deliberate. Yeah. I yeah. noticed, I noticed this time uh, watching kill bill that I hadn't on any of my previous viewings when Beatrix lands in uh what's her first Japanese destination? Okinawa. Yes. But when she goes to see Hattori Hanzo, um, when she lands in Okinawa and she's walking through the airport, there's a sign behind her for red apple cigarettes. That's a, that's mm-hmm. a Tarantino made up cigarette brand right. that he's mm-hmm. got in all his films. Bruce Willis I asked for that. the non-filtered yeah. red, pack apples of red apples. apples. Yeah. yeah. He says filtered. Nah. <laughs> yeah. That's a made up Quentin Tarantino brand of cigarette. Right. I love that. I love that. I love that that's something he brought into his world, his cinematic world, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, you know, and this, this, he's one of the only directors where he can like have films be so different, but still share things with other films. That right. Made. right. It's yeah. So like powerful. I was saying, it's like it, uh, basically like a Kung Fu movie and a crime drama get, they're both very obviously Quentin Tarantino movies, you know, like this, it's his flavor, I guess is the best way to put it is these, and it's so fucking great. Yeah. To add on to this, and maybe this would be a good segue into uh, music. The, this is, you know, Kill Bill is a revenge story. It's dark is dark. 90% of the movie is just brutal, violent, dark like no sense of hope she's just out for revenge that's her whole mission and in this movie he is splicing in the very not obscure but he's he's splice quentin is splicing in these old westy songs and we talked a little bit about Mm. this during our uh music episode on uh when i was talking about sergio leone and um uh, the composer that he uses a lot. Uh, Ennio Morricone. Yes. Thank you. Um, yeah. So, but the, I was looking up cause I watched kill bill on Amazon and Amazon has that yeah, feature yeah. where you can do the X-ray and you can see, you don't have yep. to Google it. You can just see what song is playing at the time. Mm-hmm. And these songs that he had in there, they're just from like a real spaghetti Western. Like the title is Italian, the actor's Italian. Like I don't, I've never heard of this movie. I've never heard of these actors. You know, it's from that era of Clint Eastwood with uh, the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. But these are the ones that you didn't see in America unless you were some sort of diehard uh, Western fan. So Tarantino is pulling these beautiful old Westy songs to put into a kung fu movie that is mm. a revenge story, and the songs just they splice and they fit so well with this revenge that he's doing. Um, and Dan, I asked you to uh, pull one of these up. And like I was saying, the movie is a dark and revenge oriented. The, the entire movie, it's not until the very end after she gets done with her rampage at uh, with the crazy 88s and Oren Ishii, that then she's dealing with uh, the lawyer. Her name escapes me right now. The character's name, you know, what I'm oh, talking so, about. She, so, so Sophie, is. she chops her arm off and she's got her in the trunk of the car. And then it's going back and forth between Beatrix talking to Sophie and uh, Sophie talking to bill. 
And then the movie is just about to close when Bill asks Sophie if Beatrix still yeah. knows that her daughter is This one, right? Here we go. That's it. Does she still know that her daughter is alive? (laughs) So this song, that that song got flute, and Mm -hmm. that's like that's like that's an upbeat turn in music. That's an upbeat. uh, That's like the first and only point in the movie where there is actually like a uh, a turn for hope. The whole movie is just revenge dark i'm gonna kill everybody in front of me everyone wronged me they killed my unborn child i'm out for revenge and then at the very end of the movie bill asks sophie does she know that her daughter's still alive and this flute whistly song plays at the you know perfect moment where the movie ends on a happy note when 99 percent of it has just been <sighs> dark it's yeah. it's a it's a special way to do a movie i mean that's something yeah big time real quick before we move on that uh song that dan queued up is called lonely shepherd by mm. a guy's name that looks like george but is spelled differently and it sounds Z. it sounds like it's in a western like it just right. sounds i like- think so somewhere uh, but if you if you just type in lonely shepherd kill bill like in the youtube that'll come up I, i've played that song occasionally just to have in the background it's a great song it's a great song it's really good so perfectly placed too in the film like just perfectly placed mm-hmm. it plays a couple times in the movie definitely there at the end right before the song the song that plays the most in the first well not the most but like when she sees first when she sees vernita green and then she's, <laughs> where she sees red that's awesome yeah and again, later when she's at the uh, the restaurant and she's in the bathroom changing and she hears Sophie's cell phone go off dun, and she sees dun, red again. Dun, 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 yeah. All, mushy, all mushy. Link, is it all Lynn Sang or whatever that plays? Mm. Yeah, stupid, stupid ringtone. Old Lynn <laughs> Sang. That stupid ringtone that just makes her see red. Oh, yeah. And we, bar- we talked briefly about. Uh, Lucy because it was Lou. ringing, it was ringing when she was getting her ass kicked in the She's fucking murdered, church. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah I'd see red. But Lucy Liu, like, correct me if I'm wrong, but everything that she had been doing leading up to that, like, this was uh, much. This was out of her wheelhouse. Yeah, doing this movie, I think so. Um, I think but so. She did so well as this psycho killer. Oh, we didn't even really talk about the uh, the animation sequence. And the first kill bill we didn't we didn't stand it, it was great um I, I forget the I name of the production that. company i was reading about them um that they hired to do this scene and had that scene that was another one had that scene not been animated it would have given it that movie an nc violent rating. Yeah. yeah i mean come on look at the this speculation that the guy that killed her father was a young bill i think so i mean i think there's enough uh 
details in that with the the rings and the way that he plays with his sword. Yeah, I think that's accurate. Yeah, I've always thought that. I mean, there's that. I think that's a, a leading theory. Enough. Should we move on, or should we touch on the animation before we? Well, I think we've been yeah, talking about it. I mean, Dan's had it recording. We can just go ahead and leave it in. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I mean, we can put Kill Bill one and two to rest now. I think. I mean, if we don't, sure. if we don't stop now, we're just gonna. It's gonna be the whole night. I could talk about it all night. Yeah. What's number two then, AJ? So the so the next movie we're gonna well number three technically, right. but number two, if you want to take Kill Bill as one long revenge epic saga. <laughs> marathon film which you know i think taken as one film it it works really well yeah but we're gonna move on to the next film that quentin tarantino did which i think it was 2007 that's correct um called death proof it was part of a grindhouse double feature that he did with his buddy robert rodriguez rodriguez directed the film planet terror which was a horror comedy zombie Outstanding. And then Tarantino's film was Death Proof, which um, is about this guy named Stunt, starring Kurt Russell. Actually, Stuntman Mike, who kills people with his death proof, kills women with his death proof car. Basically, that's that's the setup. That's the setup, right? And it harkens back to like these old exploitation films like Vanishing Point and uh, Pussycat Kill Kill, whatever. All these like, you know, Steve ones McQueen. Where, uh, but it actually, I pulled up the Urban Dictionary definition of Grindhouse. Uh-huh. It's a term used to describe a movie that sacrifices the traditional filmmaking concepts such as good acting, character development, production values, creative directing, and an understandable plot outline in favor of for sex, gore, nudity, violence, and other shocking themes. Fuck yeah. The term originates yeah. from a word used to describe theaters that were known to screen such movies. Grindhouse. Which describes it perfectly, right? Because Tarantino intentionally makes it the production value is just awful like you see like the scratchy yeah the green green lines going on the film they go it they go out of their way black, right they go out of their way to intentionally like switch from this, the scene after they you meet the second set of girls with rosario at dawson uh-huh. she's sitting outside the car the convenience store it goes from black and white like to color like just instantaneously like it's just a, a weird transition intentionally right. and at the opening credits it says kurt russell in thunderbolt and then it quickly switches <laughs> to death death proof like they just switched it with this That's weird funny. over yeah so, I, so it's intentionally I, I never knew. done to do that yeah i never knew i never knew what the definition of grindhouse was i mean i'd yeah. heard the term but i i didn't actually know. That's funny. It's, and I'll, and I'll right. tell you. By the way, out of their way. I don't think people talk about Death Proof enough because it is endlessly entertaining. That movie, Mm -hmm. endlessly entertaining. Um, By the way, those uh, that description uh, for what Grindhouse is is every movie you seek out when you're like you know kind of early teens. Like you don't give a fuck how good the acting is. You just want to see explosions and titties and boobies, and it's like. It's that like you know, young teenage years 
what you're looking for. And he's just completely celebrating those movies, which again, that's awesome. Fucking fantastic. Yeah. So ba- yeah. basically the setup is there's these uh, three girls. Um, they're going out for the night. They go to this bar and this weird kind of creepy guy played by Kurt Russell named Stuntman Mike is at the bar. Stuntman Mike. He's a stuntman. Stuntman Mike. He's a stuntman. He's <laughs> talked about all these old films he's been in. Even though this cell phone in the film and is taking place during the current time period, he's talking about all these old films that he's been in. Mm-hmm. Because they mentioned CGI at some point, like it takes it, he doesn't take it as much of an insult as you'd think. He keeps it together, <laughs> but he's yeah. like old school, you know, stuntman with the scar crashes on his face, the, crashes scar, the cars. Right, he's got the scar on his face and everything, and and they meet at this bar, and it's like one, they're like these sexy girls. One of them's a local DJ. One's visiting town, whatever. For Jungle the night, Julia. The, yeah, uh, Jungle Julia, and one of them's called Butterfly. She's like does a lap dance or something. Mike at one point, and they just got these like. Well, it turns weird... out he's stalking them. Sorry to jump your right, your right. Show he there. is, yeah. So he's at the bar eating nachos. He agrees to drive this girl home that's separate from that group, and lo and behold, uh, he leaves around the same time as the trio of girls. They've actually they picked up a fourth uh, girl with them who's driving. And he uh, he takes the uh, the girl he's driving home along for the ride. Tells her she should start getting scared because are you going uh, left or are you going right? Right, she says right, and he's like, "Well, it's too, too bad. bad because it was a 50-50 shot. You would have said left, and then you wouldn't have gotten scared for a while. But you but can you start getting scared, scared now." now. <laughs> <laughs> and then he chases after them. He kills them. And then, you know, lo and behold, years uh, several months later, he's in uh, Tennessee. Uh, originally, he's in Austin. Then he moves. Yeah. He goes out to Tennessee, and he tries the same deal with a few. Starts stalking other, some other girls. Starts stopping some other girls, but they don't take it lying down. Well, so if I could uh, j- jump your show here, the uh, the second group of girls that we see in this movie that he tries to uh or he selects as his targets uh two of them are stunt women that's right and are familiar with uh driving and the reason that they're in this part of the country is that they're looking for aj you might remember the name of the car it's it's the dodge the 70 dodge challenger it's from Mm. the movie vanishing point which is a grindhouse film right um and so they go looking for it just to joyride it, to do what's called uh, some guys selling it, and they they want yeah they want to like do they're some buy it right, just but so they, they want to and do this thing where she hangs uh, one of the girls hangs on the hood with uh-huh. a, a belt strapped to either door frame yeah and she's uh, what they on call the it what they call it like uh, I forget it it's, uh, it's a, it's a move mast, that, yeah, front mast or something like something yeah. mast there's a there's a uh, move that they call it. Right. But they're doing that because they're thrill seekers and they're stunt right. people and they're they want to just and she the, the, the girl that does it is visiting from uh, New Zealand and uh-huh. it's Zoe Bell. And she's actually um, a, 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 she's done stunts. a real life stunt person. Yeah, she did it. She was Uma Thurman's stunt and kill Bill she, one and, and two kill Bill. Yeah. So and she, she gets, is she also gets a starring role. Right. She gets a starring role in this film. And she's fucking hilarious. I love her. Yeah, good. I think she's too. so fucking funny. And um, yeah, what they they get stalked by Stuntman Mike. 
And while they're doing that stunt, he comes, he he rolls up on them and starts rear ends them, rear ends them, and starts trying to run them off the road and fucking with them, and they fight back. Yeah, they're like, in yeah, one of them pulls major a yeah. way. Yeah, so when they, he thinks that he's got them, he's like, "All right, ladies, I'll see you later." She pulls out a gun and shoots him. Yeah, and he's all fucked up. Him in the, him in the shoulder. Yeah, in the he arm. immediately starts crying a little bit. Oh she's my like, god. Oh, and he's trying oh, yeah. to get away, and they're like, "Let's go get this motherfucker." Yeah. And she's like, and, and the the chick that's dri- the girl that's driving the other stunt woman, she's like, "I'ma tap that ass." She just keeps yeah. like smashing him, him. Like, like yeah, smashing him. It's and Rosario Dawson, so, who's just like, uh, they're all like kind of like they're in the the um, they're in the the that world, like they're actors or they're. They're they're yeah. grips, so they're like they work. Rosario they work Dawson on sets. Plays like a makeup artist, and right, she works on a set. They do other women. things, right? And then the and one then that they leave behind is an actress or something. She's an actress, right? So they're all part. They're all in the biz, mm-hmm. but um, well, as soon just, as the, I, it's so entertaining. It's I, so I love. Entertaining. I'm, glad you, I'm glad you like it. I love another film too. with the music is just awesome. Yeah. So the song where the girl in the first set of girls, uh, Butterfly, is oh. doing the lap dance for Stuntman Mike on the jukebox. They're playing a song called "Down in Mexico" by the Coasters. That song is so amazing, and I love where it was in the film and how they used it. And just that scene is so. She's so sexy, and she just does right. this, you know. I, I Eli, loved it. I, I just loved remember it. Eli Roth is in that scene too. Yes, he is. He's, yeah, he's with that other guy, guys. and they're they're trying to uh, figure out a way to like to go get home to the with cabin with them because yeah. they're going to like uh, one of the On girls' vacation. like father's house, cabin yeah. or something. Lake house. Yeah, he's like, we got to go. It's it's a it's a girls' only weekend. We got to figure out how to get there. We got to go. But I I love this movie, and one of the things that I like about it so much is what do you think this movie is? Uh, 90 minutes no more than 90 minutes for sure it's a little more than that i feel like really? it's about 100 minutes 105 maybe minutes, maybe like it, maybe it feels a little bit shorter to me because half of it deals with uh jungle julia and her friends and stuntman stuntman mike it's like a horror movie the second half is rosario dawson zoe bell and the other girls where they're attacking him after yeah. a point and that, that last scene, that last scene in the film where they're like they're like trading punches. They're all like yeah. passing them around to punch them. It was yeah. so amazing. I well, love that. The second half of the film in general is half the movie is just a car chase at the end. Whenever they start uh, fighting back against them. Yeah. And he's, he's like, just let me go. Just let me go. And they're like, fuck you. And they yeah. start like running his car <laughs> off the road. At that point, it just turns into we're talking, you know, we've already mentioned homages with uh, Tarantino. That half of the movie is just pure old school just muscle car crashing racing it's fantastic driving is beautiful love it and can we talk about we don't have to talk about kill bill anymore but can we just talk about these films how well casted they are Mm-hmm. He just picks the right people for the right roles. Like Kurt Russell was perfect as Stuntman Mike. Right. Perfect. 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 Stuntman and Mike. all the girls all the yeah, all the girls. <laughs> all the, the girls. Rosario Dawson is a badass. She's right. awesome. Yeah. yeah. So all the girls are perfectly cast. They do even such a the, great job. The ones the uh Rose McGowan was in the first half of the movie, but the one that played Jungle Julia and the one that played Butterfly. I, I didn't I don't know them from anything else, but they no, no, neither great. do I. They, they were, were terrific, yeah. 
Yeah, just well cast, well placed. Um, and you know, th- the worlds that he creates, they just feel like lived in. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's a place you can imagine being. Well, it, and Tarantino is actually the bartender at that bar. Yes, like, he is. Yeah. He's stuntman Mike. He's a stuntman. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For the I don't fifth know. Time. He's a stuntman. <laughs> But, so but this, I just this they movie, feel they feel like this well-worn world where they're just it's a lived-in place. I like how you feels put that real because in this world of death proof, it's the it's the muscle car racing world and Kill Bill. It's the kung fu samurai world. On the airplane, everyone's got a samurai sword for some fucking reason. And Kill Bill, like they've got these, or I'm sorry, in Death Proof, they've got these just badass '70s muscles muscle cars that they crash and jump like they're jumping and crashing through boats they're going off of you know oh yeah all those all those old stunts that they used to do in the movies where you can see the car fold in half and then the next scene it's like still driving around but it just keeps going you know love it yeah i don't think it's his best film i just think it's so it's so well put together and it's so intentional. Like there's so many intentional yeah. things that you see like, like, yeah, that I could see that being like one of those like kind of cheesy exploitation films you see at a drive-in mm-hmm. and it's just, it's done so intentionally well that way. And, um, and along with the great casting and uh, just the fun that you have watching it, yeah. it just makes for such a, a sort of like an interesting package, that film. And I really liked it. I really liked it a lot. Every I've seen it a few times. I I like it more every time I see it. I just I, I find I find more things that I I find interesting and unique about Kurt, it every time Kurt I watch. Russell it. is very like magnetic in that movie for being the bad guy. He's very you're drawn to him as the viewer and there's just something about seeing, I mean, I've, I've mentioned it but multiple they, times they, already that, but the muscle cars, just seeing muscle cars spin out and crash into each other yeah, at yeah. full volume. Like the audio is always great with Tarantino movies, just yeah. hearing the engine and the, the exhaust and these cars just smash into each other. It's beautiful. Yeah. I love, um, uh, what was I about to say? So, uh, sorry, you're right about Russell though. He's he's he, but in the first half of the film, he's that menacing, scary. He turns into that scary oh, person. Yeah, right. right and right. then in the second half of the film, oh pussy, he gets the you know gets the tables turned in such a way that like you're rooting for him to just get killed in the most vicious way possible. <laughs> You're rooting for these girls to just demolish this guy mm-hmm. and they do it. And it's like that, like sort of like, you know, like that cheery, that moment where you stand up and cheer. Like, yeah. Well, cause you have no sympathy for him at that point, you know right. what he is. And then these girls are terrorizing him when he's been terrorizing and murdering other people. And he's, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. he's, he's begging. He's like, please just let me go. And you as the viewer are like, fuck you. No, fuck that mercy. No way. (laughs) Dan, you've been a little bit quiet during this. I know it's been a while since you've seen it. Is there anything that you remember, anything that stands out to you when you look back or think back on this movie? Uh, Yeah. The the one thing I wanted to kind of bring up is 
Uh, something that I felt in this movie, and I felt it in, uh, especially in Pulp Fiction, and actually kind of through all his films. There's this weird thing. A- Andy kind of brought it up already, where, um, like, even though it was set in modern day, it, it almost felt like it could have been set in the 70s. Yeah. You know, yeah. like, with, with Pulp Fiction, uh, they're hairstyles the clothes are wearing the conversations they have that movie very well could have been set in the 70s but then all of a sudden you see him pull out a cell phone and you see, Brown. yeah you, you see the wolf pull up in a brand new acura but yet everything else in the movie feels like it could have been uh, like a period piece, and I think the, the, he did that with this movie as well. It's, al- it's almost yeah. like the characters are like stuck in like that. That's that, yes. like they're yeah, stuck that's a, there, yeah. but it's yeah, it's just weird, it, like feeling you get yeah, especially like Jules and uh, Vincent did feel like oh we're stuck in the seventies yet right. here we are actually in the nineties and the yeah. right, Jul- yeah, Jul- Jules is like hairstyle, the suits they wear. Yeah. Um, like Jackie Brown, the, like the suit she buys in the department store. Mm-hmm. is like very seventies with the collar, like the way it's, it fits the way she wears that suit. Yeah. It's like very seventies. What's, what's, uh, what's he say in Pulp Fiction? He's like, it's a show on television. He's like, I don't own a television. It's like, well, you do understand that uh, <laughs> there are there are things called there's an invention called a television. A show, yeah, it's on that comes on a TV. Yeah, that's funny. So, yeah, that's yeah he, he plays with that in in this quite a bit too. So I, yeah, it's it's sort of a staple of his. In, in some I never films really thought of it. Does like that. That. Yeah, you're right. Not, not I, I sit there even... and I get caught in I get caught up in that. Like you're saying, DP, I get caught up in that. Like when I was watching Death Proof. There's a scene where Jungle Julie is texting this guy who ends up blowing her off. Right. But before that, I'm like, what what decade are we in? Right. Cause, yeah. Because yeah, the car, like- the cars are a weird mixture too. Right. In mm-hmm. the film. You know, like even the parking lot of the bar, I saw like an SUV, and then next to it, I see like the like a Chevy Chevelle or something. Like I see, like yeah. it's just like a weird mixture that they put in there like with the, the main characters the people that you're seeing are like mm-hmm. sort of in one decade but the world is in another like yeah that's a good way of yeah. putting it yeah that that's exactly it yeah which it, it, it's it's fun to watch yeah and it's it, awesome yeah it's awesome yeah, yeah it's a really i, I just cool, like no cool i like aspect. noticing like gp saying like i just i just I, you notice it. it's like it sort of comes with the Tarantino territory and it's freaking cool, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like Stuntman Mike talking about all these movies is in, but they were all in the seventies and he's, he's talking about them. Like he just did it yesterday. Yeah. 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 yeah and he's asking the, been 20 something years. Yeah. And there's young and girls men- at the bar. And he's mentioned. Yeah. He's mentioning to the people at the bar and he's like, have you heard of any of these things? Yeah. Like, they're movies just like, or these ah. things that I'm talking about. And they're like, yeah. nope. <laughs> but, but yeah, so I, it's, it's I, awesome. I, I I love that. Yeah, but I do too. It's like it's like so uh, so Tarantino esque. Yeah. Yes. You know. Yeah. Fantastic but then he, he he does move on and do very specific uh, like time period movies. Yeah, we're like, gonna, we're about to move maybe on to one that, that happened to be set in World War Two. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. Oh. So that, well, what transition, a, baby. What a tremendous segue. And it's funny, right? Because this is the first time he's done a quote-unquote period, period piece. 
Yes. Right. Right. Before it was like crime films, then like homage to like certain like eras. Mm, And now it's a grind. Right. 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 And now it's Inglorious Bastards came out in 09. Right. Starring starring Brad Pitt. And Christoph (sighs) Waltz, who won the first acting Oscar that Tarantino's ever directed Mm -hmm. uh, as a sporting actor as Hans Landa. And this is an actual period piece. It's a World mm-hmm. War II era film about the German occupation in Albeit France. In a Tarantino universe. Yes, a mm-hmm. very alternate universe of World War II where things don't happen the way they happen, right? right. But they happen in a way that's very pleasing to me. Right? <laughs> it's the way you wish they happened. Yeah. yeah. Right. I fucking love that. Yeah. So uh, I've I've talked a lot. I talked a lot about Death Proof. Marky and I talked a lot about Death Proof, and uh, I've talked a lot in this podcast. I want to hear deep DP talk a little bit about Inglorious Bastards because this is that moment in Tarantino where it, like it, it things kind of turn uh, to a different style for it. not style, but a different thing. A but different it did, yeah. Because I remember, I'll, I'll tell you. Uh... I bought, I remember, again, so there used to be this place. I don't know if AJ can tell us anything about it, but it was called Blockbuster Video. Interesting. <laughs> I used to work there. Yeah. And oh. they were they were involved in the book yeah, business? Uh, uh, movies, yeah. VHS, movie business. DVDs, yeah. Yes, you so could anyways. go in. You could, they had storefronts. You could walk in and... Um, they had movies on shelves and, and like DVD or video cassette. Yeah. Do you know? Do you know what VHS is? Yeah. Just, just so, think about scrolling right, you through your, your thing on Netflix, and instead of like scrolling, actually picture them along the wall. That's what it was. So, you but would, anywho, I went over to like I was walk to these stores. Oh Fly yeah, yeah. To them? was Marky, there one? Uh, Marky, Marky, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> But there was one close enough to my house that I you took a train, <laughs> and I and I remember it was like I was off of work one day, and it was early in the morning. I I walked over to the uh, blockbuster, which was like a stone's throw away, and they had Inglorious Bastards for sale for like ten bucks. Ooh, I was like, oh, I'm gonna nice. buy this, and I went home and watched it, and it was it it felt like. Uh, kind of quentin was doing something different for that the, was first the first time. you watched it when you rented it or yeah. bought it yeah I, I had never seen it in the theater okay but uh you know i i went and bought it and i came home and watched it that day and it really was it, it felt like a a bit of a departure for what mm. quentin had done so far but my god what a fucking fantastic film um Again, we we talked about him a lot during our uh, our villains tournament. So if you're a new listener, go back to our our, our previous episodes, uh, the Badness Madness episodes, where we talked about Hans Landa, Christoph Waltz's character, is one of the greatest villains in movie history. That's right. And yeah, it, he really steals the show, which is weird because Brad Pitt's fantastic fantastic yeah. in this movie i loved him i loved the uh, uh what, what was his name the bear jew yes eli yes. roth 
Yeah, yeah. Eli Roth. Look, yeah. Teddy fucking ball game. <laughs> Hits it onto Lansdowne Street. <laughs> knocks it out of the park. Yeah, knocks it out yeah. of the fucking park. Fucking fabulous stuff, right? Like they they were so great. The whole the whole story, and again, like you said, it, it's kind of a retelling of what happened in World War II or a fantasy of what could have happened. And you know what? This won't be the last time that Tarantino does this. Yes. I hope not. No, he's Mm. done it again. Yeah. I I haven't even seen it, and I know what movie you're talking about. Yeah. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. That's not exactly what happened with Charles Manson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. He's writing like a different version of what happened, which I think is is another like awesome thing. Like another trick he pulls out of his mm-hmm. like little bag of tricks of things yeah. he wants to do like wish list like here's what i want to do i want to do a world war ii story where you know we fucking kill hitler <laughs> yeah we're no we really fucking kill hitler yeah 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 we're like machine gun fire after oh. he's dead yeah i want to oh. see his face pop yeah and when they kill Hitler, it is awesome. Yeah, like, it's yeah. amazing. Very so gratifying. Theme. Yeah, so gratifying. Oh. Awesome. Damn. Yeah, but but you know what Tarantino does in all his films is he really nails like the opening scene, mm-hmm. you know, the opening shots, he the opening scene that ropes you in quickly. Yeah, yeah, that scene when um, Hans Landa, played by Christoph Waltz, and the um uh, the, the his, cow, his, milk his, farmer his soldiers yeah. show up at the uh, French uh, the milk farmer's farmhouse. house. Ooh. Yep, the French milk, and they're and they're hiding uh, a Jewish family under their house. Mm-hmm. And that yeah. and that whole scene, the way it plays out, is Ooh, um, it really it really pulls you into the film powerful, in such a way. Yeah, very stuff. powerful. Dang. He, he builds up it. so much suspense and like immediately, like you are so sucked in and so like and on the again, edge the, of your the music. seat. And it's three minutes into the fucking movie and you're the on music. the edge of your seat. It's yeah. The music is building, very helpful building. there. Yeah. Too, so yeah. uh, Tarantino was considering abandoning the film while casting when he searched for someone to play Hans, Hans Landa. He mm-hmm. feared that he'd written a role that was unplayable. Interesting. But then after Waltz auditioned, he realized he had this guy. And he was like, so, let me put you in all my movies from henceforth. Right. Because I don't know if he if I think we might have mentioned this when uh we did the villains tournament, but uh if not, uh, well, let, let's mention again. Uh Christoph Waltz had really done nothing. nothing. In Nothing. at least in in, in America, America before that, right. he was like a, a German TV actor, uh-huh. some German right. films. That was the thing. Like even German Quentin German people him. didn't know who he was. Yeah, he was really? just like a regular schmuck in Germany. Yeah, and somehow Quentin fucking found him, and wow. he's become one of the top actors in Hollywood. Let's be honest. like he's yeah he he's absolutely a list right now. Yeah, yeah. So Fucking he's won awesome. he's won two Oscars working for Quentin Tarantino, which good is good guy and bad guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. One, one as so a bad boy. guy, yeah. one as yeah. a good, one as a racist, one as a humanitarian. Right. Yes. 
One so, is a racist and one is a bad guy. I, wait, so wait, I just I want to make <laughs> before we talk before we talk like about like some of our favorite moments of the, this film. I just also wanted to mention that thir- only thirty percent of the film is spoken in English, which for a Hollywood nice. film is which Hollywood film is unusual. I didn't realize for a that big budget that Hollywood film. Wow, yeah. think about wow. it. I, like I love think the about movie it so much. It, which actually goes to show how good the acting is. Yeah, that you, reading the fucking subtitles doesn't feel like a chore, you know. So the the uh, not all, only not Americans you got in there are Brad Pitt and his uh, Nazi hunters, right? Mm-hmm. Eli right. Roth, Eli and, Roth, uh, B.J. Novak. And... Yes, B.J. Novak. <laughs> fucking hilarious. DP, what you got? Are you no, naming, just, just the, counting the, the names when, that we know? They held no, up the three, three versus three. Oh, try three. Yeah. Oh, so that's a good point. This what is an awesome thing too. Yeah. This is the movie that introduced me into to uh, Michael Fassbender. Oh, that's right. Yes. Right. So sneaky good cast too. Right. You got yeah. Brad Pitt, Christoph Waltz, Melanie Laurent. Pl- Laurent played the um, Shoshana. Shoshana. Oh. Yeah. Oh, oh, wah, wah, Shoshana. Yeah. She's um, in some. She's in some great stuff too, like uh, uh, some. some oh, she's some on she's, Netflix. Oxygen, which is supposed to be really good. Anyway, she's a good actress. And then obviously Eli Roth is in it. Michael Fassbender. Michael Myers has a. Yes, Michael Myers plays this weird fucking like general. Yeah, that mm-hmm. sort of sends Fassbender's character on his mission. Yes. Right. Um. But yeah, terrific, terrific cast. And all like Tarantino always does, just very well placed in their roles. Yeah. Hugo Stieglitz was the yep. first that I, I don't know the actor's name. He's 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 a German actor, actually. Yes, he is. And since yep. he did that movie, I saw him pop up and he did like uh one or two movies that scrolled across like a Netflix queue, and then as far as I know, pretty quickly went into like a B. Role movie kind his of name category. Is, his name is Till Schweiger. Yeah, and he previously and... Re- he previously refused to put on a Nazi uniform for the role. Interesting, and because largely, he is a German-born actor, largely due to being born and raised in Germany, and right. his very real hatred of anything Nazi-related. But then when he, he found when, out when he was told Nazis. when he was told he'd brutally kill a Nazi in every scene he wore the uniform, he happily agreed okay. to do All it. Right, I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> That's fucking awesome. dude. All right, so can yeah. I talk a little bit about how about Ryan uh, in, from the office and Cordis Bastard came across my desk? Oh, yeah, it was, I, how'd you find this one? So, this this was the first Quentin Tarantino movie that I was actually hyped, ready, and uh researching mm. about. So, you know, um, I had mentioned Kill Bill, you know, 2003, 2004 for volume one and two. Uh, Death Proof 2007, saw it when it came out, um, loved it. But then Inglorious Bastards was when I was out of college and just, you know, mucking and fucking about and saw the trailer trailer and was, this was the first time a Tarantino movie had really like put its hooks into me before it came out. Like I caught wind of it before and actually it was before that it was uh uh our podcast friend andrew harvey 
You mean his, my close yes. personal friend, Andrew Coffey? Thank you. That's right. <laughs> his brother had been working uh, in California for a while and somehow got his hands on a leaked Tarantino script and emailed Ooh. me the script for Inglorious Bastards before I even saw the trailer. So I read the script and then saw the trailer later. And this was like the first time that I was just, you know, trying not to get too hyped about a movie coming out, but couldn't contain my excitement. And then when I watched the movie, I'd, I'd worked myself up too much to where I kind of let myself down a little bit the first time I watched it, unfortunately, because I had just worked in, in my head. I had built up this thing, reading the script, seeing the trailer, wanted something that was different than when I watched it. I've seen the movie now a thousand times and I love it all the way through, but I've, and this is kind of one of those things where I've learned to uh, not get too hyped up about something because it's whatever you're going to, if you, if you get that excited about something, whatever you see or do or play, isn't going to reach this uh, level that you've built in your head. But yeah, in any very case, th- rare. Yeah. right. So, uh, but seeing, Brad Pitt play a Nazi hunter is as kind of weird as his Tennessee Hill accent is. <laughs> but then this it's guy pretty he, fucking cool. You gotta admit pretty, that yeah. we're gonna yeah. be killing Nazis. Nazis. <laughs> and I want my scalps. Yeah. You, Each man under me owes me 100 Nazi scalps. <laughs> it, it may be fun. I want cheesy, my scalps. It's fucking badass. So my, my favorite parts of the movie, and actually I think my favorite scene of the movie is uh when they it's it's like aftermath when they've already done this ambush and it kind of introduces mm-hmm. some of the characters and it's like hugo Stieglitz and he's sitting on the hill and he's like polishing the machine gun and it like, bam bam and it gives a little bit of flashback of him like stabbing nazis and choking them out and then he talks about the bear jew and the bear jew comes out of that tunnel slapping the baseball bat against the wall mm. Um, oh my oh, god, that's, that's an uh, that's an awesome scene. Awesome scene. Yeah. Oh my god, yeah, what a great scene that Such is. Such a and great scene. He lifts up the guy's uh medal. He's like, Did you get that for killing Jews? He says bravery. Bravery, yeah. And then he just <laughs> pulls back and fucking um, not quite a great I love scene. how Thank he rubs I love how that. he rubs it on his cheek, the bat before right. he hits it with it. Mm-hmm. So in oh, in the script, yeah. in the script, there was a scene that was depicted where the bear Jew was buying that baseball bat at a sports store in Brooklyn. Hmm. And it, it's, it shows uh, at least the, the scene describes it as him going in there and like picking up different bats and playing with them. And then he goes outside and he starts pretending like he's beating someone's head in with it <laughs> while the camera is on the shop owner doing something else. And he comes right. back in and he's like, I want to buy this bat. And then later he has everybody in his Jewish neighborhood sign the bat. So in the movie, oh. you'll actually see there's a bunch of names on the bat. That's not really. Yep. That's what it's from. It's not in the movie. It's in the script that he got everybody in his Jewish neighborhood to sign that bat. And he goes around Germany beating up Nazis with it. That's fucking awesome. Wow. That's like awesome detail. Thank you, Mark. Mm-hmm. <laughs> My rules. So it was hey, even AJ. in a, uh, sorry, it was, e- it was even in, in a poster. Um, one of the Inglorious Bastards posters that showed that baseball bat with names on it. 
mm-hmm. they never, they never, uh, yeah, that's where it came from. Yeah. So, a- a- AJ, where does this movie rank with you as far as your list? Because this, for me personally, this is right near the top. This is one of my favorite Quentin movies. So, so I, I so I don't want to assign anything to it because, uh, spoiler alert, uh, for part three of this um, retrospective, mm. I want to ask you guys to give me your ultimate Tarantino rankings for his ten Ooh, films. I like that. That's a good idea. So yeah. I, I don't want I don't want to tell you guys right. now where 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 Inglorious Bastards ranks. Although I do love Inglorious Bastards. Mm-hmm. I don't know that it's my top film. It probably isn't. Just no. But it could be. And, we'll find out next time. Yeah, I, I don't. I. But but yeah. The, so like, I don't want to. Um, you know, have anybody be upset that I I spoiled my mm-hmm. ultimate mm-hmm. rankings. Right. But gotcha. it may or may not be one of my top. Tarantino films. I'd say that is a that is a big market tease, people. Yeah. You're gonna have to tune in later to find out. That's how you do it, AJ. Very nicely done. <laughs> look, look, you know, I love I love to one degree or another every Tarantino film. So it's mm-hmm. tough. It's tough. Like when we get to that point, 10 to 1, right. it's hard. There's gonna be a lot of splitting hairs. Yeah. Yeah, you know? really but speaking about uh, Inglorious Bastards specifically, my favorite scene, and maybe this is like everybody's favorite scene, I don't know, is the scene where they meet, uh, uh, what's her name, uh, Hammerschmark yes. in the bar. Bridget Van, Bridget mm-hmm. Van Hammersmark. Van Hammersmark in the bar, and the shootout takes place. So mm-hmm. that scene, because... Tarantino's like a mat, like he does at the beginning of the film. He's a master of like creating like tension in a scene. And he does it so well. And just this little thing of how you throw your three fingers up to order something or whatever, the three or the finger, the thumb, or finger in the middle. Yeah. So just the way he did that gave him away and just it, it, it spirals. Right, it turns into this bloody, uh, out of control shootout, and set which my which happens, which, which is not the first time it's Michael. happened in a Tarantino film, like where right. a bunch of violence has happened in a in a scene, but mm-hmm. this one here is especially um, um, uh, cool because you know it's sort of like uh, there's some build up to it. Well, and you right? get you get. Yeah. Uh, uh, Fassbender, the um, Hugo Stieglitz, the dark-haired guy with the big jaw. Mm-hmm. Um, you get three like major um, of the bastards knocked off in like in one go, right? Bridget yeah, gets all, shot, right. yeah, but it's like a yeah, a big blow, so. a big blow, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a it's a major like um, 
monkey wrench in their plan too to infiltrate right. that um because those are the, 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 screen, the screening German, of the film yeah or the fluent right. german at least not not uh, right so it throws like a big up, yeah it becomes a huge problem like trying to infiltrate the um and a, as it the turns cinema. out as it turns out hans landa gets it they gets a um an advantage there because you know when they when he finds like the 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 uh, hammerschmark shoe on the scene mm-hmm. and you know he's able to He's able to put um, all the pieces together. He's a very good detective. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, he's able to put everything together, and then he's able to sort of like I can't. It's enact his plan that he yeah. wanted to enact. You know, it's what makes him so fucking scary. Is he is yeah. fucking super smart and like, it out. He, like figures shit out easily. And he lets it go. Like, yeah, he lets it play out. Yeah. yeah, it's like he knows what's coming and he's not afraid of anything. And but he, but he chokes out Hammerschmark like he's murderous too. Like that just part of someone. He's and he's so slimy when he does it. He's like squealing like a pig. He's like, Meh. he jumps on her and he's like yeah 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 like a little weasel. It's so right. fucking weird. Oh, just yeah, after he, like, that, he scene. Runs the but but totally in scariness. line with who he is. My totally second in line with who he is. My second favorite scene in that movie behind the uh, French shootout and the, and the bar and the cellar yep, yep. is uh, the interaction with, um, oh, fuck, I'm drawing a blank on the characters' names, but the, uh, the French girl that you know from the beginning. Shoshana. Shoshana, thank you. And the, uh, the German young boy, the war hero. When oh, they, yeah, uh, Zoller. Zoller. And the... Um, in the camera room and the uh during the oh, she shoots the, him in the back yeah she shoots him in the end of the back and she feels bad and she flips him over and then he blasts and he her, shoots her with his yeah. luger and then she, it's slow motion she's like falling over dead and they shoot each other god so good so one of the underrated scenes that like makes hans landa like uh, totally deserving of his spot in the badness madness tournament was that scene at the restaurant when he meets with Shoshana and she's like shitting her pants and they order like, yeah, like wait for the dessert, creme. wait for the creme. Yeah. And then, oh. but he's just so intimidating. So another part, if I could. And, uh, and, and you don't know, like, you don't know what's in his head. If I could interject real quick there, yeah. AJ, um, that's that script Tarantino had written in that Shoshana pisses herself during that scene. <laughs> they nice. left that out. But that, but that I would have, I would have, because yeah, right? at the end of it, she like when he finally leaves, she like almost collapses, like she's so right, like worked up. Yeah, and Dude, in the script, so it scary. pans down and she pisses herself. Fuck. Yeah, fuck, is he scary? Like and, he is such honestly, a great villain. And honestly, My that God. was the one. That was the one time in the film where he didn't know. He didn't know. He, he didn't, didn't know. know it was her. But he didn't he was, know it was her. But he was still so smart that she she isn't sure if he is fucking with her. Right. Right. Or if. Yeah. But he wasn't. Yeah. He wasn't. He wasn't. No, he's just that scary. Like he's, he's that so scary. Scary that. But yeah, he is oh. that much of a weasel. What is brilliant about it is when he finally catches Brad Pitt and he's like, I've got you. He's like, oh, touched your nose. And Brad Pitt just headbutts him. He's like, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> and the whole rest of the movie, he's just fucking with. Because uh, Brad, Brad Pitt's, Pitt's character is like all about brute force, whereas right. Landis' character is all about 
like smart and catching smart smart and, and, yeah. yeah and being underhanded yeah and, and then sneaky yeah. and like figuring feels, things out the the ending in the movie just feels so good when uh they you know, finally Harvey, show Harvey they finally sh- oh yeah harvey Keitel cameo yeah uh, I love that they sh- oh my finally God, show. About that. They finally, they actually physically show him carving the swastika with his massive Christop- Bowie knife. Ooh. Yeah, in his head, where they didn't show it in the with prior time else, he right? did it. Yeah, uh, but they show it here, and it's gross. And but also the, the callback, the callback to earlier in the movie when they're at that bridge and he's uh, interrogating the soldiers after the ambush, and they're like, "I bet you're gonna take off that fancy looking." german uniform aren't you yeah and at the very end of the movie when he's talking to hans landa he's like what are you gonna do when you make it to the states i bet you're gonna take off that fancy looking ss uniform aren't you yeah. and hans landa knows he's fucked he's like god damn it right, he's <laughs> like, i can't i can't abide that <laughs> he, but he, hans landa knows what happens to those guys he and, does of course he does and now he's hearing it firsthand from and he's cuffed and he's yes. cuffed because he went What's to the it? Aldo the Apache, that's his name. Aldo the Apache. Yeah. yeah, he's hearing it firsthand from Aldo the Apache. What you gonna do when you get out of the army? I bet you're gonna get rid of that fancy SS uniform, aren't you? And you can just see the look in his face. He's like, ah, oh, fuck. Because he, he had negotiated his way to fucking Nantucket. Right. You know what I mean? With a piece of property and everything. <laughs> right. The whole thing. Like, this guy was, like, sitting pretty. And now, mm-hmm. you know what? He's going to hole up in his his Nantucket house, Nantucket house forever. He's not yeah. going to leave unless he pulls a fucking scally cap over his head or something. Yeah. You know, like, he's going to have to cover it with nah, something, right? I've been chewed out before. You just you just <laughs> killed an unarmed man. You will be hung for this. No, no I'll be like chewed, chewed out. out. I've been yeah. chewed out before. <laughs> yeah. This is World War II, and he that dude he shot was a fucking Nazi. I yeah. think he's gonna be okay. Yeah. yeah. Turns was, out you guys also, are the turns out you guys are pieces of shit. <laughs> he he killed a Nazi radio operator. Yeah. 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 Spoiler alert, Nazis were bad. <laughs> yeah. Turn turn turns out Aldo the Apache uh uh did did uh, uh good stuff. Dan, that was almost Good like a, a call out to uh, what we do in the shadows movie. <laughs> when he's talking, he's like, yes. we did some things. I don't know if you know this, but uh, <laughs> Nazis did not win. They were not the good guys. So uh, it was not a good time to be a vampire and a Nazi. Well, to sum it up, sum it, to sum it up I think um, in Glorious Bastards, in, a, in some respects, was a departure for tarantino mm. based on a new leaf based on what we knew but it was just it was just more of like an evolution versus like a departure right. in my eyes right. like it was just a great next thing he wanted to do and 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 i think it made sense and it was still tarantino it was still mm-hmm. the things that he uh is known for and then also um you know new ideas yeah. So to me, the uh, the first episode, the first generation that we talked about, those are the ones that he carved his name out with and exploded on the scene that people loved him immediately. And the second generation in the, in the 2000s are the ones where it felt like his passion projects. And I've actually heard 
mm. somewhere that Kill Bill he had been writing for a long time. He told Uma Thurman about it a long time ago. Yeah, and it was he created by the bride, the character, the bride. Yeah, he'd been working Q on it for a long you. time. Yeah, it was. Yeah, so is this is these are his passion projects, and then right. by the time you get to Death Proof, two thousand seven, he's just fucking around with Robert Rodriguez, his buddy, and his they're doing buddy, gr- yep. Yeah, they're doing grindhouse movies, and right. then Inglorious Bastards. That's that's like the blockbuster. That's the, like I said, that's the one. At least I was right. waiting for. I remember that. I one. feel like, like that was one. Of the, he he one. made he made a lot of money on that one. That was a lot of hype. Yeah. Yeah. So he made over a hundred million on that one. So that was the first time it's like he he made a big blockbuster film. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? The rest of the stuff, the rest of those things were like not shoestring budget at all. They were like Kill Bill was expensive to make, well, but like I don't know if we mentioned this in uh, the first episode, but. Uh, I found out that in Pulp Fiction, a lot of people wore their own black suits to the set, and Steve Buscemi was actually Buscemi was actually wearing black jeans because <laughs> they didn't have suit pants for him. For what? Yeah. For, for Reservoir Dogs? I'm mean? sorry, Reservoir Dogs. Yes. Interesting. <laughs> the budget was yeah, so low I, they couldn't no, no, afford no. fucking. They, they well, all I thought I thought, I, I thought I knew that they all wore their own suits. Yeah, they all wore their own suits. And Skimmy uh, wore black jeans because uh, he didn't have suit pants. Well, I think they're all happy that they were in that film now. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, shit worked out quite well, didn't it? Yeah. Uh, for Harvey Keitel, for Buscemi, for Michael Madsen, for all these guys, it yeah. worked out. Yeah. Some of it. I mean, maybe, uh, yeah, Chris Penn probably not happy right now, but you know. Yeah. I, he's dead. I isn't he? right? I'm not. Is I think, I think he's dead. I think yeah, he's, he's dead. Yeah, I think he died Did a few he? years ago. <laughs> oh. Um, but Tim Roth, I don't think he's done much lately. But yeah, he had a string. He did yeah. okay. He did okay. But but you know, in Pulp Fiction, uh, right after that, I think uh, Travolta was glad to get his career back. You know. <laughs> oh my God, he exploded. So, yeah. yeah, Quentin and Samuel Jackson. Samuel Jackson, uh, that sort of launched that, that, not sort of, that launched his career in a major way. Yeah. I, I, which, by the way, I, I got to say, I, I heard this. I didn't look into it, look into it, but it, I found, I heard this interesting uh, fact that so, like, Samuel L. Jackson has been in like a hundred fucking movies. Mm-hmm. He's always in films. I believe he has kissed a woman on screen four times. I oh. think it is. In the hundred fucking roles he's had, he's had four on screen kisses. Was one of them Black Snake Moan? I probably, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it, for whatever reason, his character. Is always kind of the same guy. He's was not one the, of them Goodfellas. Um, no, no well, unless you face. count the crack pipe as kissing that, but uh, right, right it would have been. Well, we don't need to name off all the times that we've Stacks. seen some guy kiss somebody. It was Long Kiss Goodnight. It was Hard Eight for sure. He kissed <laughs> a prostitute in that one. Ah, I think Jackie Brown. He had a kiss with uh, what's her name? Uh. The blonde girl, Bridget Fonda. 
Did he actually yeah, kiss yeah. her? Now that I'm thinking back, I can't remember Maybe if they not. had a kiss. I don't think so. They might not have, have they? Huh? Anywho, I don't even know why I brought it up. I just derailed no. the whole fucking conversation. All right, boys, anyway. I'm ready to call it. <laughs> what was the What was the one with Matthew McConaughey with the Southern? Oh, time, uh, time to kill. A time to kill. Fucking did phenomenal kiss, movie. Did he kiss someone in that? His wife, maybe. Uh, Whatever. Wife, probably not. Who cares? All right. All right. All right. We're, um, we're, we're, we've gone off the rails. Yeah. So uh, that's it. I mean, that's our Quentin Tarantino retrospective. Number yeah. two. Number two. Number two. So yeah, yeah, boys. So th- that was great. Uh, part two of Quentin. I, I, I can never get enough of talking about his films. I mean, I'll, clearly, like we all three of us passionately got into that shit. That was that was a really really fun conversation we had. I am looking forward to the final final leg of this Quentin retrospective because that that was some good stuff. Um, love talking about his films. Love talking to you guys. And I'm super excited that we're back. I fucking missed you guys. Yeah, like I said, it's it's been a an up and down month here uh, with my move and everything. But tonight, goddamn, it made me feel better. I love talking <laughs> to you guys. I love doing this show with you too. So uh, I can't wait to do it to do it next week. We'll we'll be back again. You. And uh, and think about it. Part three will be um, Django Unchained. Oh, oh phenomenal. my god. The Hateful no, no, no. Eight, mm-hmm. and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So look forward nice. to that. It's gonna be awesome. not going to be next week. It'll be a few weeks from now, but yeah. Anyway. So, and uh, for all our, our, our former listeners, people uh, that have been listening for a while, if you, you miss Tim, hit us up on social media. You know, let's give him shit. Tell him, hey, you know, enough with your uh, signing checks and going to meetings bullshit get back onto the podcast because you know what if you guys miss him we miss him too we let him know you want to hear him again because uh i'm sure he'll he'll probably be back next week but maybe not we'll see uh either way everyone hit us up on social media at movie council pod uh send us an email to movie council pod at gmail.com and yeah, uh, let us know what you guys think. Uh, gentlemen, this was a fucking awesome night. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm so happy we're back. I had a great time talking to you guys. So yeah, any final thoughts before we, we sign off for the night? Mm, just that I can't wait for the next Quentin Tarantino movie. Mm. that's that's always uh right what what is in the works next is there rumors i want to know all about it I yeah wanna see uh, it. i want to read it right i have a fine i have a final thought um all right so we were on a little bit of a hiatus but we're back and i just want to say that this season uh, it's going to be exciting. We're going to do new things, different things. Mm. We're going to do things that, you know, you've seen before, but just in different ways. And we're going to have some special guest stars and, and we're just going to, 
We're going to think outside the box and we're going to have a lot of fun and we're going to exude our love of, of, um, of film and, and hopefully you guys enjoy that. Yeah. 100%. Your thing was better than, your thing was better than my thing. I was still thinking about it. Good job, AJ. (laughs) So, but yeah. Sorry, not sorry. (laughs) I am super happy we're back and uh we'll be bringing you guys another episode next week so thank you so much for listening uh if you listen to us especially on itunes please rate uh review the podcast it helps us out tremendously and uh we'll we'll talk to you next week so for for myself for my co-hosts aj and marky thank you all for listening we will talk to you next week Good night. Good night. Night. Um, go go gadget penis, little penis extender. <laughs> Just add a couple inches, bump it up to three, you know. The movie council is adjourned.